Hi, my name is Rob. I'm the host of Real Friends, a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories that we each have while believing that we can still be loved and accepted in spite of the brokenness that many of us experience in life, to be fully known and fully loved. Today, we chat with a good friend of mine, Paul Wesley. Paul grew up in a broken, dysfunctional family with a loving mother, but an abusive, broken father. Paul turned to drugs, alcohol, and unhealthy relationships in his early teens in an effort to seek and escape and find the love and acceptance he was missing at home. Can drugs, alcohol, and unhealthy relationships fill the deepest desires and needs that we have as a human? Listen to my friend Paul Wesley's story and decide for yourself. This is Real Friends. So I'm here today with my friend, Paul Wesley. <laughs> Paul, how are you doing? Hi, Rob. Um, so how long have you and I been friends? Oh, you know, somebody asked me that not long ago. Um, it all goes back to living water at the crossing. And so when that started, I think it was 2010 was the first year that Judy and the living water team formed and they, and they did that first go St. Louis half marathon kind of fundraising run. And I was on the fence whether I was going to join it or not. And so that first season, I didn't. Uh-huh. I just kind of observed. You know, we were we were still a little relatively new to the crossing. We'd only been there three or four years. So, you know, I was just kind of observing what that was. But then year two, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this because I'm a runner. Yeah. You know, I was a neighborhood runner. I wasn't uh, anything. I had never run a half marathon. But... Um, I thought year two, I'm going to do this. And so that was 2011. So it's been 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And did we just naturally hook up pace-wise? Is that how you and I became friends? It, it is. Yeah. You know, if you remember the, uh, I remember Judy and, and, and John and, yeah. you know, the rest of the, Freuhofer and, you know, the rest of the pace leaders, because she built, yeah. she built pace leaders or kind of group run leaders. And she always encouraged people to run. Not solo, but run together. Yeah, right. And and it's funny because I think ability, you know, you know your your skill or your running strength is sort of naturally grouped or congregated. You know, people of, of similar ability, and I think that's where you and I, because yeah. we ran at a similar pace and we were of similar you know ability at that time, and just kind of started running together. I forget a lot of the names of the people even then. Yeah. Who were there, but you know, John's certainly one of them. And that's where I met Aaron Robottom and yeah, yeah. Bob Grailer and and some other folks, but uh, uh, Natalie Lasley, yeah. you know, she was Judy's yeah. coordinator and, and so so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was just one of those group runs. You know, think of the group runs, you know, where you're out there for six, eight, ten miles and you're just, you know, having conversation and you get to know each other and, and look at the friendships that have developed, not only I between know. you and yeah. I. But even more so as we've expanded beyond the crossing with Big River. And so anyway. Yeah. All right. So the way I like to get these uh, conversations started is I like to go over a book that's been written by Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages, which basically groups our ability to express and receive love into five love languages. And those are physical affection, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service and gifts. And so kind of like what I like to do is I like to figure out how each one of those love language resonates with you 
And then I want you to tell me how you think they resonate with Tina, hmm. your wife. And sure. then afterwards, Tina can listen to this and tell you whether you got it right or wrong. Oh, so. oh wow. <laughs> this is a, this, I, didn't, I didn't know this was going to be a test. <laughs> so there will be a test at the end of all I that. didn't study ahead of time. <laughs> I haven't practiced. Uh, so let's start out, first of all, with physical affection. What's physical affection look like? How important is it to you now? Especially as, how long have you and Tina been married? Yeah, yeah, we... Uh, this past January, um, 37 years. Oh, incredible. Yeah. My heroes. My yeah, heroes. 37. Yeah. Yeah. So what's physical affection look like after like 37 years of marriage? How important is it now? How does it differ from like when you're the young couple yeah. who just passionately can't wait? That to is a great question. And it has changed. Yeah. Clearly has changed, you know. So yeah, when you're, you know, we, you know, I think back to when we were in our 20s because we met. 22 23 years old and uh yeah you're you're physical you're a lot you know <laughs> you're very affectionate and physical as you're getting to as you're as you're dating and courting and you know all the early stages of that relationship and so the physical physical affection and the physical affection was different because we were not believers yeah we had yeah, we had point. received christ yeah. as our lord and savior and so we were living you know very secular lives and so our physical affection was, uh, you know, was different then certainly than it, than it, it certainly changed. But um, it, it, it then goes through seasons of life, you know, where uh, early years of marriage and then the decision that we wanted to have children, you know, and then when children started to come into the picture in relationship, you know, certainly they take priority. Um, and so physical affection, you know, ebbed and flowed and changed as, you know, as kids were kids were born and and through those early years of childhood and rearing of, you know, elementary, middle school and all of the ups and downs of, you know, 20s, 30s and 40s. And, um, you know, we, we still maintain, you know, a good, strong physical uh, connection. But, you know, it changed. It yeah. just it, it it lessens over time. You know, I'm not going to uh, lie to that. Certainly, we, you know, we, we probably need to be more physically affectionate more touch and holding hands and you know kissing and so on but i don't know that that's as necessary as needed you know we truly are deeply in love and i think we each know that um certainly uh physical affection is important we need physical touch you know human mankind needs that and and so we we still do but uh it's just it's just not yeah. as not as mandatory or not as necessary yeah. as it was when we were younger. So, so how important is physical affection then to your kids? Mm -hmm. Like expressing, like giving them a hug, yeah. a high five. Uh, how important it is? Yeah. because you have two kids. Right? We do. We have two adult children. We have a thirty-five-year-old, soon to you know, soon to be thirty-five-year-old adult daughter and a thirty-two-year-old son, and that's exceptionally important. Although I don't think we do enough of that, <laughs> but you know, patting on the back, hugging them. You know, looking them in the eye and, and expressing to them, you know, physically or they can see that we're engaged in conversation or expressing words of affirmation. You know, yeah. just telling them that we love them, yeah. that we're proud of them, that, you know, that they matter. Uh, Tina does a certainly a much better job of it than I do, but, but we definitely try to do it. And we talk about that. You know, we talk about the need to do that. You know, Tina's great with... Certainly engaging with Brittany, taking her out to lunch or, you know, spending time together in conversation and just really staying connected relationally with them. And 
And so, yeah, even though they're adults in their 30s, um, they need that as much as they ever have. And uh, it's important to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I also agree. I think that the the girls or the women that I kind of know in my uh, immediate peer group, they do seem to be better in terms of just physically affection, just hugging people, even during this the year of COVID, and also words of affirmation. And one thing that I think I experienced or learned during this past year when there were so many barriers to, to being like physically affectionate with people is that then gave me an opportunity to try to improve in areas like um, words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. So um, along that topic, then how important are words of affirmation to you mm-hmm. and Tina? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're exceptionally important. Um, you know, well, words words are free and cheap. Um, right, it's got to be intentional. It's, it, it has to right. be intentional. That's yeah. exactly right. It has to be, you know, thoughtful, meaningful. It has to be specific. Um, you know, we you know you get a lot of just lightweight, general uh, words of affirmation or words of encouragement at time, maybe through friends, coworkers, or, you know, you know, even just, you know, just the general public. But, but when you can express things specifically, I think that's, that's exceptionally meaningful. One, one, you know, you recognize something about that person or what they've done or what's important to them. And that, and by recognizing that, then putting some thoughtful commentary or remarks about that back to them means that that they matter you're listening you're observing that's um what's important to them you're aware of and that you can encourage them on or you know help them with and so on and so forth and so um yeah yeah i i again you know try to do that probably don't do it as not do it enough i'm certainly aware of it and i know it's important and so yeah it's I had a uh, neat opportunity probably a month or so ago. A friend of mine kind of out of the blue paid me an unexpected compliment. And uh, it really resonated mm-hmm. with me. It made my day, made my entire week. And I felt prompted then to go ahead and try to pay that same type mm-hmm. of gift forward. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little experiment out on uh, Facebook um, where I basically shared the experience that I had. Um, shared with people, if you like this posting, I'll try to genuinely think about what it is that makes you special to me mm. and uh, send you in a separate IM kind of a message in terms of what what's special about you and mm. what I like about you. And I got a much neater, greater response from that than, than I anticipated. Wow. And so what I did afterwards is because obviously a lot of my true like closer friends aren't facebook on facebook right then i intentionally went ahead and initiated that same thing in email with mm-hmm. them and i haven't done that yet with like the the running community mm-hmm. running group right but what i'd like to do is i'd also like to do the same yeah. thing with our core yeah. group people in the yeah. running group so yeah that's probably the next thing that i'll try that would be great yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know i sense that community and camaraderie with the run group and so i think they would react really favorably to that yeah um, so that would be a neat experiment. Yeah, yeah. You, you ought to do that. Yeah. Um, so how about quality time? How important is quality time for you? What's that look like? And how important is quality time to Tina? What's that look like for Tina? Yeah, quality time. Quality time for us, I think, evolves around uh, meal time. So mm-hmm. eating together. You know, certainly I love to eat, but 
I think more so for Tina, you know, that's that's really special time because you're you're stopped, you slow down, you're you're sharing a meal together, you're sharing, you know, life together, you're sharing conversation. You know, we we work very diligently at not having the phone, having a smartphone that just kills yeah, me yeah, today. Yeah. And we comment about it a lot. When you walk into restaurants and you see two or four people sitting there and they're not talking. I know. And they have their phones in their hands. And it just breaks my heart. You know, this tool that's very powerful and very meaningful and is much needed part of our lifestyle is separating and and alienating us. And so we we work at not having the phone. Part of our time at mealtime is we sit there and have conversation about our day, Mm -hmm. have conversation about what's going on with within her ministry or, or the work that I'm doing with with the men's groups that I'm a part of and the discipleship training that that I'm part of and leading and so on. And so, you know, being able to to to, to share, you know, our experiences and things that are going on with life are just critical to, you know, staying connected. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you guys have anything like a date night where you try to be intentional about getting together and spending quality time outside of just home? Yeah. Or do you find that Home is really like the the best environment to spend quality time with one another. Probably a little bit of both. Um, date night, date night tends to be, you know, uh, not as frequent as it probably could <laughs> or should be. We use a lot of Saturday nights. So Saturday nights, because of running, <laughs> has become a sort of a pseudo date night. We we really like, frankly, look forward to that more than anything is. Is is going to church service on Saturday night and then going to dinner afterwards. Although we haven't done a lot of that this past season as much as as before because of COVID, yeah. but uh, but go to a six o'clock service and then go to dinner afterwards. And it's even fun when we can occasionally do that with friends. Yeah. You know, get another couple to go with us and then uh, you know have a date night like that. And and so yeah, it's it's the love language of the meal and the time around the table. But then also doing it with another couple or another person, yeah. Yeah. kind of having the best of both. And so that tends to be the most because then Sunday morning is, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to go drive and be be somewhere to meet our run group. And so you know the drill there. Yeah. But. yeah. I tease people that uh, my happy hour is typically at like 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning yeah. when we get together with our running group to go yeah. running. That's my that is. It really is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the fourth love language is acts of service. What's that look like for you? What's that look like for Tina? How important is that? How do you feel like you two serve one another, especially having been married 37 plus years? Yeah, that's a great question, too, because that's changed. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, biggest, the biggest change with it has been, uh, frankly, around um, the ministry work that Tina leads now and the fact that I change from working out in the corporate world to working from home. Mm-hmm. And that's been over 10 years now. And so when job roles and things change, I began working from home. Um, being here more during the day uh, afforded me to do more in support of the house because we still had, Brandon was still in high school. Uh, Brittany was in college and um, we could... Uh, um, you know, we still had, uh, you know, the four of us here. And so I could then begin to take on more responsibility because I wasn't leaving at six o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. yeah. coming home at five o'clock at night and, 
not having a lot of time, you know, Tina ran the house, but now I'm here all day yeah. and I can do more. And so I began to step into that responsibility of my own laundry or, you know, even some small cleaning things and, you know, trash and cars and grocery store and, you know, just picking up things and just being more responsible and more helpful around the house. And I had to learn to do that. That didn't just come automatically, but being observant, being willing to help and being able to step in and do those things, I, you know, saw the need. Then Tina's responsibility with her work changed dramatically several years ago with what she was doing with CBMC, the men's ministry that she was working for, but then also beginning to develop the women's side of it. Her responsibility grew. She was working, frankly, more than I was and working outside of the house as she's discipling and ministering to women. Um, I saw my role clearly as a means of supporting her ministry work through supporting her in what was going on here at the house. The more I could do to help here freed her to love and minister and disciple women outside of this house. So in an indirect way, you know, I was her, you know, chief of staff, her right-hand man, her IT guy. You know, I took care of everything else that she couldn't get to anymore because she was out serving God and, and serving the community with helping women. And so I'm in the background as her support, you know, doing as much as I can to keep the house running and, you know, going to the grocery store and doing everything else, you know, as a means of serving her, which allows her and frees her to, to do this work, which is, you know, a beautiful one-two. You know, she's, she's pursuing God's call. I clearly see it. And my role is to then be behind her and help her by, by caring for the home front as much as I can. And so yeah. it's really worked out, you know, amazingly well. So Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned Tina's ministry several times. You want to go and kind of provide like 60-second synopsis in terms of what Tina's ministry is all about? I can't do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, it may take 60 minutes. It may take an hour or more to describe it. It's a... Uh, because it really is amazing. It is an absolute amazing call of God and then obediently following her, yeah. his call um, is just, it's remarkable. But so it goes back several years. She got involved with a men's discipleship ministry in which she worked as a as, as support to the local director here. And through that, it was exposed to, you know, one-on-one -on -one Paul and Timothy quality discipleship, man-on-man, -man, small group, sharing the word of God and helping men um, uh, see and realize their need for Christ in their life. So going through that and being a part of that men's ministry, she, you know, these men have women in their lives and these yeah. they have wives and yeah. girlfriends and daughters and so on. And uh, the, the need was as great with women as it is certainly with men. And so as God was training her over those 15, 16 plus years, um, she felt his call to step out, leave the ministry and be on her own to start her own discipleship ministry through uh, through a, a partnership with Revelop Institute. And so she, uh, she, she started that now four years ago. And um, she has uh, multiple small groups. 
She has dozens and dozens of women that she meets with and disciples, some that aren't even in St. Louis. Yeah. And she meets because of, because of Zoom and remote access. She can, uh, she can meet with them one-on-one via, via technology and uh, one in Kansas City, one in Texas and, and elsewhere. But so she's expanding beyond just the St. Louis area. So is she grooming or developing other small group leaders to, to help her out with this? She ministry? is, yeah. The, the Clearly the idea is to develop and pour into these women and disciple them so that then they can turn around and do the same with others. Yeah. Um, so they can then turn around and start a small group, uh, start a one-on-one with a family member or a neighbor. And she's got several of them. Um, that she's done that with, and 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 even so, even even a couple of younger women, you know, the next generation, you know, these a couple of young ladies in their early thirties, uh, who clearly have a heart for God, and you know, it, are are pouring into them, you know, so that they can then turn around and you know, be that next, you know, generation of women that come yeah. along and do the same work, yeah. and so. So, if somebody were interested in getting more information about what Tina does. How would they go ahead and get a hold of Tina? Yeah, so she has a um, she has a website through Revelop. She's got a brochure and other materials that okay. we can share. Maybe I can put that in the show notes afterwards. Yeah, yeah. There's a link to the website yeah. for for, for Revelop. Yeah. Revelop was a it's a nonprofit 501c that was developed by Grant Williams to it's kind of a counseling ministry. Um, but Tina then uh, partnered with Grant to offer a discipleship Christian ministry for women mm-hmm. through through Revelop, and so um, that website still exists. Although the the the, the, uh, the counseling ministry no longer does, but Revelop is still uh, a nonprofit entity that Tina's part of, and so yeah, yeah, good. Okay, and then just to close the loop on the uh, five love languages, the last. Love language is gifts. How important are gifts to you? How important are gifts to Tina? Should I have brought you a gift here ahead of time before asking you to do this podcast with me? Would that have made it easier? (laughs) Yes, you should have. You should have brought donuts or uh, no. Um, Yeah, I think I think certainly gifts are gifts are important. It's another form of recognizing, you know, the other person's. needs or interests or the the areas in which they you know enjoy just enjoy the the bounty or blessing of life and whether it's you know you know we share a lot of uh, I went back to food earlier we share a lot of gift cards or 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 times in which we purposefully plan going to a particular restaurant so we'll buy each other gift cards to uh first watch or Mike Duffy's or or restaurants where it's it's a specific outing you know a date night or we're going to go to this place share a meal share conversation and so on and and uh, and so we do we do that frequently that's a very common thing for us is to get gift cards in that in that regard because it stop it causes us to stop slow down share a meal spend time together and just express you know what's going on in our lives and so that's one and then the other thing i kind of i kind of kid you know not a lot about but we uh, we go into the we go into the holidays. So we have Christmas, we have our anniversary, we have Tina's birthday, mm. and we have mm. Valentine's Day. Wow. Wow. So I got about a six to eight week period yeah. 
where all of those specialty, you know, right. uh, occasions have all come together. And so I've got to be really well planned out. Yeah. And thank heavens for my daughter, mm. who is my secret shopper. I lean on tremendously to, you know, help me plan ideas. Because <clears throat> I could, I generally do okay on my own, but sometimes I need a little extra help for, for gift ideas. So Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's the five love languages. So let's talk a little bit about where you are now today in life. If I were to ask you to give me your elevator speech or your 60, uh, two-minute bio, just in terms of who Paul Wesley is, right. um, what would that be? How would you describe yourself right now during your current season of life? Oh, wow. Should I have provided you with these questions earlier? <laughs> would have helped although you've got my outline I put this is not this is not the short version of it but uh, I think we can talk as long as you this like. is the long this is the long version this is not the two minute <laughs> elevator speech to you know the the I think the thing I think the central primary thing from for who I am who I've become you know is a byproduct of who I you know the seasons of life and the experiences of life that I've walked through you know, growing up and in my early 20s and 30s and so on, they they have all been the experiences that have led me. And I'm going to choke up here. That's okay. To who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't trade. Well, I might trade a couple things, <laughs> but I wouldn't trade any of it because it is... <laughs> It, it brought me to Christ. Yeah. It, uh, any one thing, the greatest, single greatest gift uh, that, that, that anybody, mankind can ever be given is a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And, and my life's journey, good, bad, or indifferent, was all pointed to and leading me to him. Yeah. And when I finally realized that, you know, at 30 years old, now over 30 years ago, um, that changed everything. Now, it didn't change overnight. You know, I, I came to a point in time where I realized I needed him and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Um, but then he allowed me the freedom to come to him kind of on my own terms, at my own time. And in my own way, and, and he didn't punish me, he didn't, you know, reject me, you know, through grace, by faith in him, you know, he's repeatedly forgiven me for my mistakes and sinful nature and my shortcomings and my weaknesses, and allows me to continue to grow, and and I, I think the thing that's really occurred these past 10 plus years is that I've, one, I've fallen in love with him, he's continuing to mold and shape my heart uh, and more than ever before to where I, I'm, I'm in love and I'm giddy and I want to share him and I do freely with anybody. I do it unashamedly. I do it, I do it sometimes obnoxiously. You know, you know, uh, I can relate to Peter. Peter opened his, Peter, Peter spoke first and stuck his foot right. in his mouth. Yeah. And that's Paul. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can relate to Peter's behaviors because I am sometimes kind of rude and indifferent and a, you know, a, a kind of brash and, and bold and don't think and speak. And and so a lot of those traits and behaviors I can so relate to. And that's me. Yeah. Um, you ask me, I'm going to tell you. 
and I won't hold back. You know, I'll be sensitive and kind about it, but I'll also be blunt, candid, and direct. And and it's all because I love my Savior, and I want I want you to know that. And accept me or reject me, this is me, and you're going to yeah. get it as I am. So yeah. anyway, well, that's ultimately kind of the overriding message that um, we hope everybody hears through the the different stories you get told through here is that uh, ultimately um, this eternal relationship with Jesus is what changes everything, not only when we pass away, but in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And you and I, brother, are both living that out right now. But let's talk a little bit in terms of how you got there. Um, Let's talk about uh, the early years, say the 60s and 70s. Um, Why don't we talk about uh, family life? What was family life back then? Yeah, I mentioned that a minute ago. You know, it's those early... You know, it's those early years and experiences of the family that you grew up in, you know, that kind of mold or shape, you know, the path that you, that you, that you're set upon, you know, like it or not, this is, this is what you've been given. And you grew uh, up in a Brady Bunch type family, a father knows best type family. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, it was, it was very dysfunctional, very dysfunctional, very broken. My, and you know, a lot of it was around my father. And so my father came through a very broken family life, which affected him tremendously. And it got brought into our family and through my mom, in my marriage with my mother and, and how he, he was abusive. He was physically abusive, uh, uh, mentally, socially, emotionally disconnected. Um, so while he was around and a provider, he was, he was not safe. Um, uh, I was the th- I was the youngest, the third of three, and he was physically abusive, primarily my older brother, a little bit to me, not not to my sister who was the oldest, but uh, that created a great deal of uh, 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 just t- turmoil and dysfunction within the family life, and um, ultimately led to a divorce after twenty plus years of marriage with him and my mom. Uh, my sister was married and out of the house. My brother was running from my father as a teenager. And uh, and then I was there at you know, 10 or 11 years old. So uh, that's the type of experience that you grew up with as a dad. We talk about God being our, our loving father. And your experience in the real world is with a dad who's anything but loving. How does that impact your view of God early yeah. on? You know, I... I don't know that it did impact it. Um, I had a very loving mother, you know, and I think that's the one thing that kept me grounded. It's my mother and my and and her mother and father, so my grandparents. Uh, they they uh, exemplified, I think, uh, a normal family loving unit. Even though my father was so uh, my father was so harsh, I saw the, a good side on. On my mom's side, my mom, although my grandparents were not believers and didn't uh, didn't really didn't reject faith, but they didn't embrace it either. Mm-hmm. My mom pursued it. My mom pursued the Catholic faith, and so through that, she raised us by going to Catholic school in uh, grade school, high school, and so I experienced the uh, the uh, relationship with with Jesus, but it was only in a historical sense through the teachings of the Catholic Church. So I knew him I knew him as a historical figure. I didn't know him personally. And so I saw that side of life through 
my mom in her 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 attempts at faith, but then through the Catholic school and the you know the religion classes and so on and so forth through through that. But there was never any relationship through that. It was just all just just this was just what you did, and that was what I experienced. But there was never anything to it. Um, Tina and I first married in 1984. We got married in the Catholic Church. And so because that was her background, it was it was mine, that was where we started was within the Catholic Church. And so it uh, it kind of helped form or shape those initial beginning years of our marriage as we attended Catholic uh, the Catholic Church in South County where we lived um, and then set, set the wheels in motion for what was to come. And so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so your your parents uh, get divorced back in seventy one. Your mom gets remarried in seventy four. Um, what was your relationship with your stepfather? Yeah, actually, I have two stepfathers, and so this was part of the real hardships I think of my early life in middle school and high school. So my mom divorced and then remarried a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Clemens, and they were married a very short time, uh, two to three years. Uh, Jim had health con- health issues and then had uh, a series of heart attacks. And at the beginning of my junior year of high school, uh, he died of a heart attack. And so less than three years of marriage, um, you know, Jim was just really becoming part of my life and he died. And so he was gone. So not only did, did, did Jim die in 75 uh, my brother died that year before during the Vietnam War. So my brother was uh, in the Marines, uh, was serving the Marine Corps during Vietnam over in uh, the Philippines as a as a uh, as a training in a training basic Subic Bay in Manila, and uh, and got into a vehicle accident and got killed during the during that training exercise, and so lost my lost my older brother. And then a year, less than a year, approximately a year later, Jim died of a heart attack. And then a year after that, my grandmother, who was the rock, my mom's mom, died of lung cancer. And so within about two years of time, I lost really three extremely important people Yeah, so how do you deal with, that, deal with that type of loss? Because any one of those individual deaths is, a, you know, can be traumatic. It was traumatic. It was horribly how do you traumatic. Deal with that year after year after year? I ran. I ran and I buried myself in an abusive, you know, lifestyle. I had to escape. I was, I came through an, an, you know, an abusive father growing up, disconnected, abusive father, and then, you know, instability through their divorce. And then all of this series of loss over a two or three year time span. And, uh, and I found, you know, through the early seventies, um, the drug culture and I got hooked up with the drug culture and alcohol and and I buried my thoughts and feelings through all that loss and what I was going through and just just denied it, just denied it existed. And that just launched me on a nearly 10 year from 12, 13 years old. I look back at the time I was 12 or 13 years old when that began up until 22, 23 when I got help. But it was a 10 year period of you know, pretty consistent drug and alcohol abuse and, and uh, the escaping, you know, that pain and hurt of, of all of that, you know, upheaval and turmoil of my early, you know, teen and early life. Yeah. And so, so let's talk about that 10 year period. What is it that stands out to you? Or do you remember the most? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, remember the most. You know, just... Uh... Did you ever find relief in the midst of trying to no. resort to like drugs, nope. alcohol, or anything no. else? So what did, What was it that kept, kept you going back to it over and over again? Yeah, I think the fact that it numbs you from feeling. You know, so you have this... Yeah, this you know, constant nagging sense of, you know, hurt, loss, and uncertainty. You know, my mom was going through as much the same as I was. And so she she was not living a lifestyle like that, but she didn't know how to comfort a teenage boy either. Um, and so this was a way just to deny those feelings and cover it up. Uh, it never dealt with the underlying hurts. You know, especially through my father, I think that was the biggest, single biggest thing, you know, but then all those series of people and those losses, those deaths, you know, that just compounded everything I went through and, and just, um, you know, the, the constant state of feeling numb was a way just to deny, you know, all those hurts. And so, um, yeah, it just, it was just a way to cover it up, so. So this leads to kind of a funny part of your story. I think it's funny, and that's you're attending weekly AA meetings. Mm. Would you like to go ahead and pick your story up there and how that eventually leads to... Uh, well, it's actually before yeah. AA. So, mm -hmm. so at 22, through, a, through a, really a fight with a friend that I got into, it was in May of 82... I got into this altercation with somebody and I realized I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick of my lifestyle. I was sick of the constant partying and the, and the, and the friendships that were all centered around partying. And, you know, I was trying to be responsible. I was trying to work. I'd gone through college. I had my job and, you know, I was trying to, trying to build a sense of normalcy at, as an early 20 year old, but uh, it was through that fight that I realized that I couldn't attain a sense of normalcy in relationships and, and building towards the future if I was going to, if I was continuing to drink mm -hmm. and do drugs. And so there was a, there was a sense in society and in the media and the news through a lot of professional athletes and others who were coming forward admitting they had drug and alcohol problems and so by admitting it was okay to get help, I thought, you know what? Mm -hmm. If the baseball players and the football players and others are stepping forward to say, you know, I'm struggling. I think back to the early Cardinals like, oh, I don't know, Lonnie Smith, Keith Hernandez, and, and some of the football Cardinals who were yeah. stepping forward as, as my age Good. in their 20s, admitting they had problems, I could, do, I could yeah. admit too, I could get help. So I checked into rehabilitation through Highland Center at St. Anthony's. And as, as I was in that inpatient program to get help from my addiction, I then meet someone in that who was getting help through a prescription pain medication addiction. And that 40-something-year-old woman who was a group member of mine... <laughs> um, ends up being Tina's mom. And so I meet Tina's mom in Highland Center in the same small group that I was part of, who then became friends with and, and then 
introduces me as I got out of the inpatient program to her 22-year-old daughter and and the rest yeah, is history. I, I love that part of your story. <laughs> um, coincidence or did God somehow have his hand involved in your life, even at that time before you were truly a Christ follower, when you look back on it? No, it, no coincidence. There's yeah. never coincidence right. yeah. in any of his in any of his work or how he leads things. But yeah. he he knew I wanted help. He put me in a place to get help for the addiction. He he has a great sense of humor. Yeah, amen. Because he says, okay, Paul, if you're obedient, will follow me. I will get you the help that you need. And oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to introduce you to someone that's going to set you on a path for the rest of your life in meeting this, you know, older woman whose daughter will then be your your partner for the rest of your yeah. life. And yeah. and so never saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. fully admit it, but but I, I so I got through that program, uh through it through a work uh through a work thing. I needed a date to uh to a dinner and I thought, you know what? Um, she was cute. I had no ties to any of my past girlfriends, and so I'm going to going to call her up and invite her to go to this dinner with me. And she accepted. And we we went out that first night, and then we began to date um, afterwards. And it was within six months. I knew pretty. I knew pretty quickly. I was like, oh wow, this girl's cute. She's smart. She knows what she wants. You know the, a good thing when you I knew it. a good thing when I saw it. Yeah. I don't know that she did, right, right. but but I'll leave that to her story. But uh, I knew a good thing, and with I I had so we our first date was in September of eighty two, and I proposed to her in March of eighty three, and so within six months, I proposed. She accepted, and then in, uh, we were married, and in January of eighty four. So it was within a year and a half from really from first date to marriage that, you know, everything it went pretty quick. Um, so. so were you a Christ follower back then? No. Okay. So go ahead and then share the story from the time you and Tina got married, what marriage was like, and then how you eventually, um, I guess, as you say, it's leading up to your accepting Jesus as your, your Lord and Savior. Right, right. Yeah, we, so we married in... Uh, January of 84, and then joined the, um, joined the Catholic, we went to, so we were both Catholic, married in Catholic Church, attending Catholic, uh, Catholic services every week. We lived in the city and we attended services there, really not far from the, uh, just a couple blocks from the Big River store, mm -hmm. the South City Big River store. So that's my old neighborhood. I grew up in that neighborhood, know it, know it all well. We attended the Catholic Church there at uh, Kings Highway, Chippewa. As we were married, we lived in it you know, nearby, and uh, and then we uh, moved to South County, built a house, and moved to South County, and it started attending Catholic services there. <clears throat> uh, Brittany was born, had her baptized in the Catholic Church, uh, and then it was in '86, in '89. Um, this is really where things began to piece together or unravel. You mm -hmm. call it whatever you want. 
um, as we were attending the Catholic Church and preparing for Brandon's baptism. So it was that spring, summer, fall of 89, uh, going through the baptismal preparation classes with the deacon at the Catholic Church that we were part of, uh, we really be, both began to sense that there was something wrong, something missing, something incomplete. Yeah. You know, and this was yep. Christ calling both of us yep. and exposing, I think, some of the shortcomings of what the Catholic Church, you know, attempts to provide, but was very incomplete or lost in its own yeah. way of how it reaches its, uh, you know, reaches and teaches its people. And so through that baptismal experience, which was shallow, hollow, missing, and incomplete, uh, we both realized that, that there was something more that Christ was calling us into. And so, so through, you know, conversations with my sister and, and through that experience, that baptismal experience, uh, we made a decision to leave, you know, the Catholic Church and find something else. And so, uh, Tina, Tina, you know, I would stay home because I think we had two little bitty kids. We had a, you know, a two, three, four year old. And Tina started looking around and finding, you know, try to find a, um, another church. We started looking at some small Baptist churches in the South County area that, um, uh, that we, we started, uh, she, she started attending and looking at and, and in doing so, you know, she prayed to receive Christ at the second or third one that she, mm, she wow. walked into the message that day and the, uh, the, the, the fact that she knew that God was calling her. She sat there in that pew and she prayed to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior and came home that morning after attending that service and shared that with me. I didn't know what, you know, she was <laughs> describing because she had that, she had that look of, you know, she had just met Christ. She was on fire. She was on fire. And I'm like, okay, I believe you, but I don't know what you're talking about. But I went with it. You know, yeah. I followed what she, you know, what she experienced because I, I knew something more was happening here. And so, that experience led us to a small little Baptist church off of South Telegraph. And uh, together we then moved into that church and then and then through a, a young pastor and his wife who came to take over. Uh, they then took that summer of 1990 to disciple both Tina and I, walk us through the fundamentals of the faith, share with us what we... Uh, what we needed in, in leading us up to the cross. And so through that experience, I then on my own with Dennis, you know, prayed to receive Christ in that church Saturday morning in that August of 1990. And from that point forward, you know, was a Christ follower. I, I knew I needed Christ in my life. I recognized what he did on the cross. I recognized that his blood that he shed for the forgiveness of my sin, and through that, you know, through that, through that act, that that what he did, you know, forgave my sins, and that through that faith and what he did, and receiving his grace, that you know, that I was now his child, and that and the Spirit moved in, and that I was then a new person. Yeah. Um, and then through so from August of 1990 forward for me. You know, that was the beginning of this now lifelong journey from 30 years old to where I am today. Yeah. So. 
20 plus years? Uh, 30, uh, 32 no. years. Yeah, 30 plus years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, after Christ, what's life been like after Christ? Um, any type of major turning points in your life that you've had to dealt with where you feel like your, your faith has really been the rock that's gotten you through it? Um, the what's the the power of having a wife who's a Christ follower who mm. helps support you and encourage mm. you and uh, when things on the surface maybe don't line up and make sense you still have somebody in your corner who's still still there behind you to support you and encourage you mm. so what did the past 30 years look like if you're going to go and just hit some of the highlights you know you hit it right there Rob when you said having a wife who's a Christ follower I think the fact that we were both seeking. Tina was Tina was a step ahead of me, thank goodness, because yeah. she, you know, I I knew I was pursuing something. I just didn't know what, you know, and and she was really pursuing it, and I was like, okay, we're going to do this together, but you know, I don't know what it means, but it but you know, looking back now, it means everything, you know. I look back, you know, through the seasons of life where you have ups and downs, you're raising kids, you're, 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 you're pursuing Christ, you're not pursuing Christ, you know, just the very season, you know, various seasons that we go through. But of all things, you know, we have been united and committed and steady. You know, even though we may not have, you know, I may not, I may not have been, you know, the best at it. You know, we have, we have never wavered you know, on our commitment to pursue Him and remain united in the importance of pursuing Him and growing in our faith. That has been the rock. 37 years of marriage doesn't happen. Not by accident. Doesn't happen if we are not united together in Him. So that's that's the central thing that has kept us and will give us another 37 years together is because of that unity in Him. You know, and through the hardships and the ups and downs of raising kids and, you know, losing family members as we have done. You know, we've lost our parents. And although my mom is still alive, but, you know, most of the, you know, most of the generation ahead of us are all gone now. And and we're now that. We're now that, you know, those seniors of our family. And so uh, having him as a centerpiece of, you know, of who we are in our relationship and life together has meant everything. Yeah. Um, And I just... Thank God for that, um, because life is hard enough uh, to do it without Him. Uh, would I don't know what that I don't know what that would be like, or I don't want to know what that would be like. And so I think I'm thankful for it. So you and I are both guys. We believe that, like we're called to be the spiritual leaders in our families, in our homes, in our relationships, in our marriages. What's that look like if you're in a relationship with a wife who is spiritually on fire? Mm-hmm. Does she still support and encourage you to be the spiritual leader? What's that give and take look mm-hmm. like? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she clearly does. And, and what's I, it look like to be the spiritual leader in a yeah a, a Christ centered home right marriage? Yeah, it it means you you means you're responsible. I you know I I fully feel you know even though I have a wife who's in full time ministry yeah and clearly see her you know as a spiritual you know leader in peer equal in yeah. my, in our family and i admire her for that i look up to her for that uh, she keeps me accountable you know in my own walk and so i'm thankful for that i don't have to be 
I don't have to be that guy that says, no, 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 I've got this. No, 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 you you follow. No, yeah, no, good. no. I love that. We, we're clearly peers, and I, you know, I am so thankful, you know, to have a, a, a strong woman that, you know, that leads in that capacity and that I can admire and I can, you know, follow in my own right. And so I don't, I don't just sit back and just follow and watch. I'm actively engaged. I'm involved you know, very deeply in, in, in the uh, in a men's discipleship ministry in which I'm leading other men to pursue and follow Christ on their own. I'm witnessing with my next door neighbors and sharing the love of Christ with them and, and other neighbors around me. <clears throat> so I'm leading it in my own way um, through, uh, through sharing the love of Christ in, in my own capacity as Tina does with her with her women's work. And so I have my role and I have my rights and responsibility and I find the opportunity to share Christ with others in my own way, which is different than hers, but uniquely needed and important. And so, uh, so, so through that and through our commitment to our involvement with the churches that we've been part of, you know, we were at the Evangelical Free Church for 11 years. We, you know, we were uh, active members and participating with the Crossing for 15 years and Currently, we're attending Grace Church now up in uh, Maryland Heights uh, for the past six months. And so, you know, through those active involvement in those churches, we, uh, you know, I lead and I step in and I get involved. And, you know, it's part of uh, part of what I can contribute through our through our commitment to attending the, the body and being yeah. involved in the body. And so, you know, I lead in that capacity. So. Yeah. I would say even as a single person, even though I'm not married, um, I have strong... Christ followers who motivate me, inspire me like yourself. But I also have a handful of female friends who are just the rock stars in terms of their their spiritual journey, who inspire me and motivate me, whether they realize it or not, and actually end up pushing me further towards God just because I admire and respect. Mm -hmm. I see them doing stuff. I think I should be doing that. I should be as bold as they are Mm -hmm. and as loving and as giving and have the servant hearts that they have. And so I really admire, I really admire and respect that, especially when I see it in, in a marriage, because we live in a culture and society these days where I think marriage it's just under attack. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know from going through this book that we're currently going through that uh, it's not by accident that marriage is under attack. There's an enemy out there mm-hmm. who would love to just be able to tear apart the, the very core and very fabric of our society, which is marriage, mm-hmm. the covenant marriage, which was instituted by God. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That is so true. Um, so let's fast forward. A little bit mm-hmm. to let's jump ahead to 2021. You're a runner. Um, would you like to share your experience, your history, the importance of running in your life? What are your thoughts regarding the importance of having a good running community to train with and to do life with? And any thoughts or advice that you'd give to others considering picking up running or joining a running group? Yeah, that's a I don't know that I've ever thought through that. Is you know I share bits and pieces of that. So running, running for me goes back to <clears throat> Brittany was a baby, and I ran. I ran. So I ran uh, track and cross country. I think I shared it this morning as we were running our miles. Yeah. I ran track and cross country in in high school, and so that was the beginning of it. And then I got away from it during my during my party years. <laughs> 
Partying and running don't go together. I'll just tell you right up front. <laughs> it's hard when you've been up to four or five o'clock in the morning to then get up at six when o'clock. You, when you're hungover, uh, getting out to go run two, three miles, much less any more, doesn't work. So when I got clean and sober in my early 20s, and then we had Brittany, uh, and she was born in, in uh, July of 86, uh, was within her first year. You know, being clean and sober now for three or four years and having a new child, I wanted to, I wanted to get into some more health. I wanted to re-enter some more healthy lifestyle choices, like like bike riding, which I like to ride, and then also running, which mm-hmm. I did in my youth. And so I'll never forget the first run. It was a Thursday night. I came home from work and I went to run from our house up to Point Elementary School on Telegraph Road was one mile, and I ran up there, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> they, I was going to have to go. They had an adult volleyball league in the school gym. The doors were open because it was an it was early summer evening, and I thought I was going to have to go into... The, the gymnasium and have them call 911 to get an ambulance to take me home. One mile. One mile. I got up there and stood outside and heaved and spit and vomited and and I was sick. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am just terribly out of shape. I'm 24, 25 years old and I can't run a mile. What? This is horrible. So I collected myself. I got together. And I think I walk ran home. So I did two miles that first night, but it was the beginning. And so I, I then said, I, could, I, gotta, I gotta be able to slowly be in, you know, one mile to two miles. And then, you know, just was a neighborhood runner those early years. And so from, that was, um, you know, those 10, 12 plus years up to getting involved with, uh, um, with the crossing and running with living water, you know, and the group mm-hmm. runs, the community runs. Look at the cardinal on the roof. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, have a, we have a cardinal bird staring in on, yeah. on, our, yeah. on our session yeah. here. Anyway, uh, and so it was just neighborhood running, and it was four or five miles. It wasn't anything, anything more than that, but I did that six days a week, mm-hmm. and I did it before work. I'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, yeah. and I'd go out and run my four or five miles, Shower, go to work, and that was my day, and I did that for years. And it really began to build into the into the habit and the discipline of running, because running made me feel better, made me feel good. It maintained a healthy lifestyle, maintained kind of a healthy weight, and it gave me some discipline of how to do that. And so fast forward up to then 2000, you know, what was that, 2010, when I then got plugged in and connected with Living Water, and then the community aspect of it, never had never run in groups, yeah. had never run in only maybe one organized couple of five Ks yeah. prior to that, but never did anything group wise. But it was the group aspect of Living Water and running in community with other people of like skill and developing those relationships through you and Bob and Aaron and John and others, that just was a game changer, absolute game changer. I loved it, felt absolutely 
in love with it. And so I did that every year, did Living Water every year, and then was like crushed and heartbroken when Judy said, we're not going to do this. It got too big. Well, look at it. It got too big. People, you know, felt like I did that sense of community and purpose of raising the money for a good cause for Living Water and the sense of community that it developed with the two or 300 people. You know, it was a ministry unto itself and and it was unsustainable. And I get that. But I wasn't done. I was like, okay, wait a minute. You've lit the fuse, Judy West. (laughs) I'm not stopping. I have got to find something to replace this. And I started shopping around and I saw Fleet Feet and I saw Big River. And Fleet Feet charged money. Big River didn't. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. This was 2013, 2014. And I experienced Big River that first season and and found that same sort of spirit. People just getting together and running in groups and relationships and community. And I built built a couple of early friendships through that. And I think of Brian and, you know, Bob Alexander. And, you know, I met Stephanie Hussman there and then Michelle Dillon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, you know, you and I connected, invited you to when did, was to it join. The, the very next uh, It semester? was the next season. Okay. Yeah, so I did it once on my own, and then I told you about it. Yeah, shared with you, hey, you know, come check out Big River. It's kind of fun. You know, it's a good group, and I think that was yeah the next season you joined. I remember okay. thinking, there's no way I'm going to give up my one day a week to sleep in Sunday. Yeah, and I went. And I think the very first time I went, I brought my camera. Yeah. And I fell yeah. in love with the experience. I'm sure everybody was thinking, who's this weird yeah. guy creeping on us with yeah. a camera in Forest Park? Right. But that's just caught on and ended up being like its own ministry. In it is. Itself. Well, it's well, just it didn't exist. It didn't right? exist. It's, I firmly believe if you're passionate about it, God places a certain passion on your heart and you use that passion to serve him. It's just amazing kind of the ripple effect yeah. that it can have. Yeah. Because people, it's introduced me to what I refer to as just a whole plethora of micro relationships. Yep. People who've come in and been out of my life, but. Weddings. Right. Yeah, you know, weddings. weddings yeah. uh, I mean, just everything, you know, all the, just the family photos. Yeah. Right. How many through the group run that you know, yeah. Yeah. what that's opened up. I do. It's been remarkable. I do. What a great, great, mm-hmm. sweet piece of again the further furthering our passion and our love to run um along with your passion around photography but then really it goes back to the relationships Amen. you know those deeper relationships that we establish through just running and sharing our experiences of jobs and raising kids and you know i i, I openly share you know anybody that talks to me you know knows you know knows where yeah. i stand yeah you know, I share, I'm, I'm unashamed. I will share the fact that I love Jesus and I love Christ and, and this is who I am and yeah. take me or leave me. This is, this is what you're going to get. So anyway, what that means, I think what that, you know, affords our running community, you know, as men of God and that what we can then offer and share to who we are in him and how we can then, you know, offer that and afford that to others in our run group. So yeah, um, I used to early on, it's I used to try to find friends that would go running and instead what I've experienced is find a running group and then see if you can develop genuine friendships out of that running group and our running group to be quite honest with you is my closest community of regular friends yeah. now that yeah. I hang out with yeah. part of that is because um, 
we meet like on a regular, we, we invest in one another's lives. And it's not just the, the physical exercise part of it, the self-care that comes through that, but also the fact that we've genuinely grown to be friends. We've had friends of ours who have gone through periods of broken bones, mm-hmm. um, cancer, cancer, just the whole up and down. And yeah. as a community, we've been able to support, encourage, right. love one another, be with one another. And um, you know what? You get to a certain season or age of life where it's challenging to, to be able to develop one additional new friend, much less be blessed with what we've had. Mm-hmm. And it's this this peer group mm-hmm. of wonderful, amazing mm-hmm. people and our and the eight thirty pace group, mm-hmm. the eight o'clock pace group, and even really just the big river running community in general. One of the things that I've really loved about our running community and we got to kind of experience it a little bit more pre COVID is it is by far the most diverse group of people mm-hmm. that we hang out with. Mm-hmm. And it we don't focus on what separates us and divides us and makes us different. Mm -hmm. Everybody focuses on what unites us and draws us together. And there's kind of a message there for the church in terms of like Jesus said, you know, this, this group, this world out here, they're going to know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. Mm -hmm. You're going to have your set Mm -hmm. of differences, just like a hand's different from a foot, Mm -hmm. but I'm calling you to love one another. And that's the way people really know that we're Christ followers. Mm -hmm. We can talk. But talk is cheap. People are going to look at the way we live our life, live our actions. Mm-hmm. So, right, That's a tremendous description. Yeah, you clearly get it and see it. I do as well. But I think you and I bring that spirit. I think we bring that spirit into our run group. So our run group of 10, 12, 15 of us, there's no, there's no drama. You know, I think we all genuinely love each other. I do too. Yeah. There, there is a sense of spirit, a spirit of community and camaraderie. There's no drama. There's yeah. no, there, there isn't one cross word. Yep. I mean, it is remarkable. It is the sense of of community that that's 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 there because of this run group. And I think, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not taking credit for that, but I think that's the spirit of God upon yep. our community. And I really look to you and I. You know, as maintaining that, you know, through who we are, you know, how we how we share the love of Christ and what we say, the way we treat and act each other. I think that I think that spirit has bled into and bred into, you know, what's developed with our run group. And um, and I think I think I think that group sees that and senses that. And it's a it's really a sweet you know, development that's, that's occurred throughout, you know, organically just occurred. And it is an example of the church. You're right. It's a very diverse group. Uh, And, and, you know, they, they all know who we are and we know, you know, where they stand and their walk with, or if, if, if they have faith or not. And, you know, we, we still love each other regardless of where, you know, where we are with that. And so. Love first. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like when they ask Jesus, if you're going to boil down like all scripture, you're going to try to boil that down to your key talk, talking points. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. And then love your neighbor mm-hmm. as much as you love yourself. Which means yourself. you do need to be loving yourself and taking yeah. good care of yourself. Right. But then you need to love your neighbor. Right. And then the whole theology stuff, that's great. But love your neighbor mm-hmm. first and foremost in a tangible way mm-hmm. where they can see that. And they're not afraid to be who they are or yeah. how they are. Whatever type of... Because we all have brokenness. Mm-hmm. We all have brokenness. Yeah. Um, but to be loved and accepted in the midst of your brokenness, that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. The same way Jesus does with us. Right. 
Because Lord knows we serve a God of multiple second chances, because mm-hmm. I'm living proof of that. Mm. Thank goodness for yes. those Amen. second chances. Amen. And 20 a chances. And seven times seven times 70 right. chances. <laughs> yes. Um, Amen. So, yeah, very, very, very forgiving. So if you're going to try to come away with like a cheap uh, talking point or some sort of advice or encouragement that you'd have for others in either a similar season of life that you're in now or mm-hmm. thinking back to like some of the more challenging seasonal lives that you'd be in, what would that be? Yeah. You know, I, I got to go back. To, I go back to the central thing. You, you, you can't give away. We're, we're called. So as Christ followers, mm-hmm. we are called in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples of all Amen. nations. Amen. And Amen. I am absolutely 100% committed to doing that. Now, if I'm called to go, therefore, that means I got to have something <laughs> to give. Yeah. I got to have something that I can offer. And I cannot give away what I don't have. Amen. Amen. I can't, absolutely cannot. And so the central, single biggest thing for me, and you can't see this, everyone, you know, you know, is to be in this word yep. every single yep. day. And I'm yep. holding up two Bibles. Yep. And I got two of them. And I probably have I probably have need for more <laughs> because I get something uniquely, you know, different out of each one. Yeah. I got an NIV and I got an ESV. Yeah. And I use and lean on these study notes, but I'm in God's word every single day because it strengthens me, it encourages me, it challenges me. It gives me everything that I need in which to understand what truth is. And we need truth today more than ever before because society, the news media, and our culture are out lying to us at every turn they can to lead us away from the truth of God. Matter of fact, God's word, you know, is being reviled right now. It's being rejected. And that's the work of the enemy. You know, Satan, you know, will will lie, steal, and cheat, and destroy. And it's occurring as we see it happen before us today. And so to know the truth means we have got to be in God's word daily. We have to be on our knees. We have to be studying, reading God's word. And then, then, then and only then do I have the ability to live, live in truth and live in faith so that I can help others recognize and share and see it for themselves. What they do with that, how they receive that truth and what they what they then do going forward with it, you know, is on them as it is on me, you know, because I have to, I have to live in truth. But, but if I'm not spending time in his word as I do every single day, then I have no chance of being able to impart that and share that with others. And so, so being on my, being in the word and being on my knees are the two biggest things. And that is what I do. I start my, the best part of my day at four o'clock in the morning is sitting right here and spending time here, and then everything else, you know, is blessed because of it. So. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to close. It is. Um, so I appreciate, love you as a friend, appreciate you making time for me like this, and uh, hopefully we can get together again in the future and maybe have follow-up conversations, follow-up conversations. Amen to that. <laughs>